the incomparable. Number 545, December 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And yes, it's Kilmus. Merry Kilmus, everybody. We're going to be discussing 1988's Willow, directed by Ron Howard, and starring a, a, a cast of, of dozens, <laughs> um, most notably Warwick Davis, who it plays Willow, and, of course, your friend, your pal, Val Kilmer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me introduce my very special Willow panel. They have all gathered in this village, but one of them, I'll let you decide which one, is hanging in a cage. Annette Weirstra is here. Hello. Hello. I am at this moment morphing into a goat. Okay. That's right. <laughs> well, it, it, you won't stay there long. You'll turn into something else. It's that true. That is how it works. Uh, Erica Ensign is also here. Hello. Hello. You are great. And John Syracuse, I, I take it back. He's the one in the cage. Hi, John. I'm the greatest swordsman that ever lived. <laughs> I had a feeling John would want that line. I almost said it, but I left it. <laughs> um, okay, so Willow, this is this is a famous movie, I feel like. And it's it's weird. So I feel like in the 80s, anything George Lucas was involved in at all got this intense scrutiny. And he wrote the story here, and this is a Lucasfilm production. and And yet I think... People were just trying to find ways to run down George Lucas after his incredible success because um, I always thought, oh, Willow is one of those flops that George Lucas did in the in the 80s after Star Wars, like Howard the Duck. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it wasn't. It made money. Um, it, people, I guess, were just kind of jerks to it. It, it. The reviews were okay. And people seem to have fond memories of it. So I'm a little bit baffled mm-hmm. that it I gets- blame The Onion. Oh, okay. I blame the onion because I remember very clearly there was an onion story, which I just looked up. It was in 1998. I can't remember if the onion was <clears throat> was nationwide by that time or if it was just still in Madison uh, in Milwaukee. But there was a there was an article that was just Willow rented <laughs> and it had just a picture of the VHS <laughs> of Willow. And my college roommate at the time, who was like the biggest super fan of Willow, he was so irate <laughs> at that article. <laughs> And and yeah, so it was just it was in the zeitgeist as being this movie that nobody cared about, and we were like, we care about it. Mm-hmm. I had the D- I had the VHS tape of it. I loved this movie. I probably saw it in the theater. Well, this is what I wanted Ooh. to ask: is that I I watched this movie for the first time yesterday, but I assume that all of you have a history of Willow that that I would like all of you to share. So Annette, we, we're clear. You always love this movie. Yeah. Also, I, I always love Val Kilmer. So I would see everything he was in. Huh. Merry Kilmus. Yes. Happy Kilmus to all. <laughs> John, what about you? What's your history with Willow? So I saw this movie in the theater and the context was important to me anyway. This is, uh, I don't remember how old he was, but I was in I was in Driftwood Day Camp. And the thing that Driftwood Day Camp did is if it rained, they would just rent out a whole theater and take all the kids and put them on a bus and bring them oh, to the theater and watch right. a movie. Wow. And that's what they did. They rented out the whole theater for all the either all the kids in the camp or at least all the kids in my age group. And we had we didn't get to pick what we were watching and we had no idea. And I had never heard of this movie before. And we sat down in the theater and we watched Willow and I loved it. Uh, I don't remember if I ever saw it on VHS. I probably did rent it. I didn't get it on in any other form until I got the Blu-ray when that came out. But that was a big gap. But yeah, this was a very, made a big impression on me because I had no preconceptions going in. Um, you know, and I did see the Lucasfilm logo in the beginning and was excited, but I loved this movie's right up my alley at whatever age I was when it came out. 
Erica, what about you? I did not see it in the theater. We didn't really go to movies all that much uh, in the 80s because they were expensive. Um, but we rented an awful lot of movies. So I'm pretty sure that we must have rented this sometime shortly after it came out. And it was just, it was a, a movie, one of the the many weird movies that we rented and watched probably a few times. I didn't really come to have super strong feelings about it until college, because as I mentioned, one of my college roommates, he was just like, he loved it. And he would walk around quoting Willow all the time. Like if you said something weird and walked away, his response was always keep walking hero. And it was this, he was just, he loved Willow. A lot. And so we watched it a lot. And that was really when I just sort of Willow made a huge impression on me was because of my college roommate, Max, and the fact that we watched it multiple times in college. So I've just always loved it since then. And and when we got our uh, Disney Plus, you know, week long trial last year to watch The Mandalorian in one fell swoop, I was like, oh, my God, they have Willow and watched it immediately. And then I got to watch it again yesterday to prep for a podcast. So it was very nice. I, I have to say, for those who have not seen Willow and are thinking, maybe I'll watch it since they're talking about it or haven't seen it in a long time. It's on Disney Plus, as Erica said. It is a glorious Looked, it looked great. I mean, I don't, I mm-hmm. can't remember. I don't have that thing where it's like, oh, I watch it on VHS and it cropped to four by three. And no, I had never seen it before, but like it looked really good. Like th- this mm-hmm. was, I was impressed with the quality of the transfer. I'm not, not sure if they're claiming that it's a 4K, but it, it like it looked great. It sounded great. I, it, one of the movies that actually has a lot of aggressive kind of surround sound, my, my many speakers were very happy that they got to do mm-hmm. something because they don't always. Some movies are not very good at that or streaming services. Um, but yeah, I think it looks really good. So people should check it out on, on Disney+. Plus. It's right there if you've got Disney+. Plus. And also The Mandalorian is available. So, you know. They they also put out a 30th anniversary Blu-ray edition uh, in... 2018, which is what I got uh-huh. to replace my well-loved VHS tape that <laughs> I lost somewhere along the way. But yeah, no, it's it's a good and it has a couple of fun um, little documentaries behind the scene things. Oh man, when we can see people again, I'm coming over to watch those. Yeah, for sure. You'll you'll make your own Kilmus whenever you can. Exactly. Was what I'm hearing. And this movie deserves like a good transfer because I mean, as you see when you watch the fairly long, you know, 80s style opening credits, uh-huh. yep. uh, this not only is this a George Lucas joint, uh, but it's got a, quite a pedigree of the people involved in the movie. You will see names that you recognize of famous people. Who did the special effects? You know, famous special effects people who directed Ron Howard, not quite as famous then as he is now. Um, but like if you look at sort of the caliber of movie making, setting aside the script, the story, the, you know, the potentially dated special effects, the basic filmmaking on display here is excellent. And so it, and it comes through when you get a good transfer of it, right? This is not a cheap movie made, you know, especially since it's sort of a high fantasies type movie with magic and dragons and all that other stuff. We're used to seeing those not made very well, especially in the seventies and eighties. And this, I feel like is a cut above. Yeah. The the assistant director, um, Ken Baker actually was also 80 on like the princess bride and labyrinth of all things. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is the, I'm also walking through all the fantasy movies of the eighties that I never saw speaking of labyrinth. (laughs) Um, but this, and, and then that's got puppets in it, which I, I make a linkage also with, um, with the Dark Crystal as another one of those movies that until this podcast I'd never seen, I thought like was the same as Willow, which it isn't. At oh no! All. <laughs> um, so th- that's all fascinating to me. You mentioned the Princess Bride, and I wanted to mention the Princess Bride too because that was made the year before, I believe. And mm-hmm. um, boy, these movies look a lot alike. I think that that's re- I, I, and and 
Um, they're tonally, they're very different, but they look similar. And I think it maybe is that they are the state of the art for an England based fantasy film production of the late yeah. 1980s. That's what I'm going <laughs> with here because they look to me really, uh, really similar. So I don't know, which is a good thing. I love the Princess Bride. It's great. Um, but I, I, I was watching Willow thinking like, is this like a parallel universe Princess Bride? It's so similar in, in, in just in look and feel, not, not necessarily in, uh, it, lo- it looks more expensive than the Princess Bride. I will say that the Princess Bride is, is yeah, cheaper. It, it does. There's but, more outdoor but, yeah. shots. Like the Princess Bride does more uh, sort of uh, sets that are meant to be outdoors, but are clearly yeah. sound stages. And it suffers a bit for that, whereas this does location shooting for a lot of stuff, with the exception of a series of sort of uh, Tolkien-style travel shots, which are clearly yeah. sort of matte mm-hmm. situations, uh-huh. right? But most of the time, they they put people in places and film them in in the wind, in the sun, uh, on bright sunny days in England. I don't know what they, how they found this many, but apparently they did. <laughs> and snow, you know, and and it mm-hmm. looks. Yeah, it looks this really movie good. has actual snow, which is something Annette and I pay a lot of attention yeah. to in all of our holiday romance films. <laughs> Unlike those, yeah, it's gorgeous on those. Mount- they got the snow-capped mountains behind them. The beautiful mm-hmm. snow-capped mountains of London. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as you as you do. Well, they did they did also shoot in Wales, where there are kind of mountain-ish is, yes. and uh, and New Zealand, where there are actual mountains and actual snow. So they <laughs> they put it all together, which brings me to another point. We haven't even gotten to the plot yet, but. I'm just going to go down my list here. Another thing I wanted to mention, which is Lord of the Rings. So they shot some stuff in New Zealand here. There are a couple shots where I'm like, that's basically Lord of the Rings. Like that's, I think that's the Mm -hmm. same place that they did a shot that's very similar in Lord of the Rings. And this is uh, something I have to mention about Willow, which is I'm laughing as I'm watching Willow because Willow comes, you know, long before they made Lord of the Rings movies. But obviously the general fantasy genre is influenced deeply by Lord of the Rings. And I just was chuckling because it's a, a couple of small people who have to go on a journey mm-hmm. uh, in order to save the the world from evil magic. Um, the plot of Willow and but this Samwise the, well, the, and, and the big difference is the goal of Willow is not to throw the baby in a pool of lava. You have those two battling wizards. Uh, oh yeah, and they're they women. I mean, the, the, I that shot late late in the movie. There's the battle between sort of the good uh, wizard and the bad wizard that mm-hmm. is almost identical mm-hmm. to what is it? Yes. Is it the two towers where where yep. where uh, mm-hmm. Gandalf and uh, Saruman are are smashing around wall to wall with their magic battle? Uh, just like, and I, I have yet to see the, the, uh, behind the scenes thing where Peter Jackson says, oh yeah, we just did Willow there, (laughs) (laughs) but kinda, kinda a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny though, but, but I I did have those several moments of like, oh, oh, this is like, so Lord of the Rings, except not, but it's great. No, Lord of the Rings is so Willow. I see. Movie wise. Because decades earlier, no computers, just the You know, but the the plot of the Lord of the Rings existed before, and this is lifting a little bit from the plot and the vibe of Lord of the Rings. It's fine, though. It's fine. Yeah. But this movie, unlike the Lord of the Rings movie, actually let little people play little people, which I really Mm -hmm. appreciate. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was going to say, I can imagine the casting call for this, because it is... It, they, they have an entire village. And I love this. There is an entire village of little people. This is where Willow comes from. But there's a whole town and there's a, a mayor and there's a, a know-it-all and there's a warrior and there's like all of the people and they all live there. 
And um, and I thought that that was really cool that that it is like the Shire, right? But it is mm-hmm. it is just them. And until they go out into the broader world for the first, you know, whatever it is, twenty minutes of this movie, fifteen minutes of this movie, in in their little world, it's just them. And and you know, who knows? Is the whole world like this? Maybe, but it's not. There's you know, mm-hmm. there's uh, people outside who are are larger, and it turns out that they are small. They're little people. I thought that was really cool that there's so many of them and they're so distinct and mm-hmm. it's uh it was cool because I thought they 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 rounded up every possible actor to be in those scenes from England, right? And more because in the extras they actually said they it was so great cuz it's like this is so 19 like late 1980s. They had a hard time rounding up enough um extras because they needed them for 7 days in this in this shoot and they're like we yeah it was hard cuz sometimes they're just at their job and we couldn't they didn't have answering machines and we couldn't get a hold of them and I'm like oh that's so funny that you know just contacting and rounding up cuz I think it was like 200 I don't know it was a lot of a lot of extras for some of those big scenes. I really like that the the village, you know, has it, it really feels like a full village, like yeah. you said, Jason. Like there's there's a little bit of everything. And also it's not just like this it's this idyllic perfect land. There are politics going on in this village. Mm-hmm. There is it has its own story that's happening basically it's continuing to go on in the background throughout the rest of the movie willow has to leave to go on his big questy adventure but you still got burgle cut back in the village like annoying the 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 pants off of willow's wife probably and trying to steal their land and you got these two adorable little kids running around being you know sad and scared their daddy's never coming home and oh my god her like the the wife and like i can't remember the name of uh who is it that plays willow's wife she i just thought she was fantastic peters yeah, I wanted her to go on, on the adventure with them because she was just so great. And like, th- I feel like their romance felt really uh, realer than than a lot of fantasy mm-hmm. romances. It was more grounded. Also, Warwick, Warwick Davis was like 17 when yeah. his movie was made, it's which is amazing crazy. because he's playing a father and a husband. And he totally carries it off. Like, it, I, at no point did I go, I go he, he looks really young, but he doesn't look that young. And he does look like this is a young father who's caring for his kids and, you know, and now has to go on this adventure. And I, I thought that was great. And I was very impressed because, I mean, he's been in a million things. We've seen him in a million things since then. And of course he was, he got this part because they had worked with him with Return of the Jedi and all of that. But like, he has to carry this movie and he does. He does. I was very yeah. impressed. Totally. So young. It's, I, yeah, so I'm young. trying to think of any other movie. And certainly none that I've seen that uh, stars little people. Like you mentioned, like that they, they they don't just get the starring role in this, but they also get an entire village, and they all have to get to be they all to get to be just regular actors. Because most of these people, if they're in a movie, they're in the movie as the little person, and that's right. not like mm-hmm. you know this. This is more like like, like little Billy people Barty. are the. Billy Barty is the is the wizard of the village, and it's like oh, mm-hmm. it's Billy Barty. He's been the little person in. A bazillion things like time bandits, for example, right? It's like, oh, there he is, right? Like, th- you're right. That that's always there's the one or two, and instead it's an entire town. Yeah, that's the default in this. And then the Daikinis, the big people, are the weird ones, right? And so it's a fish out of water story. But the you know, like the the this is this is the standard. Is they're just this is the life they're used to. And so anyone, even if they got a small role like Kaya as the wife or whatever, when do you get to just be? a wife and mother and not be the little person. Right. And, you know, I, I think everybody in this movie, I mean, there's a little bit of sort of, uh, I'm not going to say over the top acting, like 
comically exaggerated acting by by a few people in the village in their sort of stereotypical roles but i feel like it works because it feels kind of like again going back to the hobbit and those sort of the sort of anchors for uh you know the this this style of fantasy movie where you've got the sackville bagginses and the the politics of the shire right. and how annoying everything is there and how how bilbo is put upon and this is just another version of that. And in the same way in The Hobbit, that is the standard life. Bilbo's life is life. And he goes into the outer world where people are tall and weird and, you know, they're dragons. <laughs> Let's step away from Kilmus and Willow for just a moment. Let me tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable brought to you by our good friends at ExpressVPN. You know, the sad truth is our data isn't always safe, no matter who you are. Uh, you could be a government. <laughs> oh, topical. What sites you use... Might not matter, doesn't really matter. Attacks leading to data leaks are worryingly common. And you don't want your credit card info, your passwords, your driver's license, your passport info in the hands of hackers. Especially when, according to recent reports, your data could be worth up to $1,000 on the darker parts of the web. You're busy. You don't want to have to worry about all this stuff. Uh, And I don't either. Using a VPN like ExpressVPN can keep you safe, can secure your connection so that the point that you connect to the internet is not where it usually is, and everything that flows to that point is entirely encrypted. This is an app. ExpressVPN funnels your data through that secure encrypted tunnel so that no matter what device you're using, you know that the pipe between you and the internet is encrypted so people can't watch you, so people can't listen in on weak points in the network between you and the internet. It connects with one click, it's lightning fast, and it works on up to five devices simultaneously so you and your whole family can stay protected. I've been using ExpressVPN for quite a while now. Could not be easier to use. One tap on my iPad, and I'm on a VPN. Back in the days when I was at uh, cafes, at coffee shops, doing internet stuff uh, while, you know, writing, uh, I don't. I want to use their Wi-Fi, but I, I don't want to use their insecure Wi-Fi and have them look at what I'm doing. One tap. On my iPad, that's it. And you can do it on your phone. You can do it on your laptop as well. Protect yourself with ExpressVPN. It was rated number one by CNET, Wired, countless others. And if you visit expressvpn.com slash Snell right now, you can arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Snell. Visit expressvpn.com slash Snell to learn more. Thank you, ExpressVPN, for supporting The Incomparable. The movie starts with... (laughs) as is obligatory for most fantasy movies, uh, some text on the screen explaining that there's a prophecy. <laughs> there's yep. got to be a prophecy. Fortunately, <laughs> it, it's quick, and I, I, I didn't have time to roll my eyes, and we had already moved on from it. But there is a prophecy, and it, and it doesn't. it's not one of those things... Well, we should talk about what how prophecies work. But um, <laughs> this says, a, a, a female child will be born with a special birthmark, and that will lead to the down fall of the queen who is a sorceress named queen bavmorda she's very bad so she throws all the pregnant women in 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 jail but this uh this child is born and smuggled out by a midwife who puts her moses style on a on like a floating thing in the river and then is horribly killed by by dogs dogs. oh yeah Mm -hmm. discreetly Um, i mean this is a disney you know it's on the disney channel it's a lucas movie i mean so this this opening with the prophecy this tells you right from the jump what kind of movie this is going to be. Like in the same way that Karate Kid is sort of, you know, an exemplar of a particular genre, this is going to be that kind of movie. It's going to be the kind of movie that has a prophecy and it's a high fantasy movie and it, you know, gets immediately into it. So if you, 
you know, if you have an allergy to formula, don't watch this movie. But I feel like, you know, kind of like they said about uh, one review set of Legend of Zelda, The Breath of the Wild, this movie doesn't have a formula problem. It has a formula solution. Like this is the per- the perfect example of that formula, right down to the prophecy text, which is, I think, only two screens in fairly big text. It doesn't make you read, you know, reams and reams of text with proper nouns mm-hmm. that you don't understand. It says, look, here's the deal. Baby, you know, prophecy, bad witch, right? Uh, baby smuggled out. You get your opening scene. And, and in a sort of a typical, uh, I don't know, maybe... maybe what what genre this is most uh, i think of it in, in terms of disney uh, in terms of killing the parents but like the opening seed of this is more severe and frightening than most of the rest of the movie so it right. sort of starts you off unsettled and tells you this is going to be a serious movie but then it's settled into the uh, the village antics and everything you know what movie you're seeing it's very clear there's a prophecy but it really isn't about the prophecy it, it is but it isn't although throughout the movie lauren and i just kept saying your attempts, Queen, Queen Beth Morda, <laughs> your attempts to kill the child who is the source of the prophecy. Mm-hmm. If it's if the prophecy's right, first off, you've already lost. And second, your actions will lead to your the destruction. Come on. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, she can't, doesn't just have to kill the baby because that would be too easy. She has to banish it to the whatever realm, right? So it's mm-hmm. it would be easy if they could just say, oh, just find the baby and kill it because the movie would be over because they do find the baby. Right. But she has to, there's a process. The ceremony. There's forms that need to be filled out, yep. right? Yeah. Because if you, you just kill it, it'll just be reborn in another baby. And so mm-hmm. you just keep chasing your tail. So it's like, let's end this thing once and for all. Yeah, exactly. But it's just one of those things that it's 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 the classic story where she, you know, the things she do, does to avoid the prophecy cause the prophecy to happen. And that's just... That's what it's happens with prophecies. They're the worst. Classic. Always ignore the prophecies, people. So the baby <laughs> is found by two kids in the in the the village, um, and taken to uh, Willow and his wife Kaya, and they find this baby who is adorable, but with I think some reason Willow basically says. Um, you know, we we need to do something with the baby because they're they're searching for the baby and they're attacking people. Oh, he, he wants to push it down the river before well, anyone he does. shows up. He's like, like let's he just does. pretend we, you know, the, nope. the denial of the call or whatever from the hero's uh-huh. journey. He's like, just put it back in the river. Someone else will take care of it. Yep, that's a daikini. That's not one of us. Yeah, but that's not going to happen because the baby is super cute. It's an adorable yeah, little so baby. Yeah, so cute. This Kaya is some of the best the baby. baby acting in any movie. And, and the secret to baby acting is similar to the secret to pet acting, which is put the baby in various scenarios and leave the camera on it for like three hours and mm-hmm. then find the seven clips where emotions are expressed and insert them in the right place. And this baby's <laughs> acting is unbelievable. Where's the act, uh, the Oscar for this, you know, baby acting? That scene where the baby is really crying and upset. I was like, what? dang, like... What did they do to that baby? But you're right, John. It was probably we just laid the baby down for a while until the yeah, baby no, got they have, cranky. They have hours of footage of that baby. I mean, it shows like <laughs> wry surprise, disgust, <laughs> trepidation. Like it's this, this laughing. baby has more <laughs> expresses like, more sophisticated uh, emotions than most WB shows. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that captures baby character as well, which kind of works because she's supposed to be extra special. So mm-hmm. she's not just some random baby they're tossing around, but they. They have so many expressions, and I love it. Erica, I'm going to make a, a Doctor Who reference here, which is there's a, an adorable um, moment in a Doctor Who episode where the doctor talks to a baby, and the father's <laughs> like, what? And he says, yeah, I speak baby. And that happens in this movie, too, where mm-hmm. the uh, the good witch... Uh, Sherlindria. Mm-hmm. Yes. She uh, she says, like, oh, yeah, baby's name is this, and, and this is like... And it's like, but it's about... How did you... And it's like, look, 
I know about babies. Like, it's like, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So we know the name of the baby and we know that this is a, that the baby has to be protected and uh, great. I thought the Doctor Who reference you were going to make is that Jean Marsh's character as Queen Beth here is basically her chewing scenery in the same way that she does as uh, Morgaine in Battlefield in Doctor Who. And who doesn't love to see Jean Marsh in some like whacked out costume just eating everything in sight? It is glorious. Yeah. So they decide uh, that they're going to go off on their own. And it's a very funny moment because it's the the village council um, and and you see all those political dynamics. I really like it that there's the 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 kind of jerky guy who's always making fun of Willow. Oh, uh, Willow earlier does a magic does a bunch of magic tricks, and there's uh, people are very impressed. And then he makes a pig disappear, and then the pig runs away. And that's going to be important later, by the way. Chekhov's disappearing pig. I know uh-huh. this, this movie is, is very very traditionally and carefully uh, constructed. Everything in the movie is set up. And it's mostly straightforward setups and payoffs, which are great, but sometimes slightly different, like the acorns, which you totally expect are bogus because you've yeah. just seen mm-hmm. the the wizard of the village be a, a kind of a, a scam, right? And so you, in the beginning of this movie, with Willow uh, having, uh, you know, wanting to be a wizard and failing the test based on his self-confidence of which finger do you pick, all that, the whole thing, you're kind of not sure. Is the, you know, the high nail one or whatever, like... What's his deal? Is this is there magic in this world, or is it just you yes. know like like throwing the, like throwing the bones? Is like really this is just a way for me politically to get uh, uh, got to go with you because he's a jerk and we all know he's a jerk and mm-hmm. I want the warrior to go and the only way the war you know like s- some savvy sort of politicking going on using magic as a cover because the whole village clearly believes that the wizard is real and he's using that power to get things done and he's you know generally a good person right. And he does turn a bird, a stone into a bird and then says to ignore it because, eh, you <laughs> it know, like some, it's like, is it magic or is it like, you know, uh, David trick. Copperfield a magic, magic trick? Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. There's there was there's a par- part of the movie where you're like, is the magic real or are they just talking about magic? But it's not really magic. And by introducing Willow as this person who does magic tricks, it makes you even more suspicious that that there isn't magic, which, of course, there is. But it, it just takes a while to get there. And I like that. Um, and I do like, so Burglecut, who is the, the jerk, um, there's one of those things of like, oh, we're going to send out our finest warrior with Willow. And he's like, no, no, um, uh, I need we him. We need him and here like, to protect us. Yes. And they're like, okay, well, then we'll send you. And he's like, well, I need the warrior then. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. It's such. It's just a great moment of, of again, yeah, it's politics, but it, there's some good jokes and, there. And, and they're using, yeah. they're both using, like, it seems like Burglecut also doesn't believe in the magic because when they, when it says that, that he should be the, you know, that Willow should go on the adventure because that's what the bones say. Well, you know, the whole bit, bit with the, the wizard, he, he tells Willow in a whisper, the bones tell me nothing, right? <laughs> and ask him, do you want, do you love this child? Do you want to go? He says, yeah. So he says, Willow has to go. And then, Bunk, uh, you know, Burrowcut says, praise the bones. Like, yep. the bone, you know, see, they're all using, Burrowcut knows that the bones are bogus too. But as soon as the wizard uses the bones to make him go, then, you know, the, the worry's got to go. Like, again, total doubt on the magic, but clearly the, Smarter people in the village know how to leverage the thought that magic might be real to control the masses. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the masses are really like there's some some mob rule kind of going mm-hmm. on. They're they're shouting to to just turn this baby over immediately. And even before <laughs> they know about the baby, they're it's actually saying who is who's in char- who is, whose fault is it that these you know weird dog things came in and ravaged the village? Whoever it is, we should find them and throw <laughs> them in the pit. He starts wa- in turns the around pit. and starts walking out. Yeah. Well, and I think that scene too, where the the switch of Burkle cut, he. Uh, 
it sets the movie up to be funny as well, because I think it's less serious, which probably is good for a family movie and stuff, but it's not so serious as a lot of high fantasy. So it's like, you've got lots of little jokes and things that just make you make me laugh anyway. Yeah, baby, baby pukes on his face. Yeah. Yep. And That's it's right. like, a, like that kind of, yeah, it's that kind of movie funny. too. <laughs> the, they, they set off the, the fellowship sets off, but very quickly it ends up being um, just, uh, just Migosh and Willow, right? Because they go to the crossroads and they meet a human who is in a cage. And this There's a movie star in this movie is mm-hmm. Val Kilmer at the height of his powers Yay. as Mad Mardigan, the great swordsman who is a guy in a cage that nobody wants to let out who keeps trying to get out of the cage he just wants water he just would like a little water and there's a whole bit where he he has to lick it off of his hand because some of it spills on him but he doesn't get the rest of it and it's very sad but an army is is on the march and uh and that you get the back and forth where uh where they're like hey meg martigan you're in a cage like hey hey buddy um because he's got the, the warrior who who they uh who they fought i guess against and with like they're anyway they're in the warrior business their warrior colleagues <laughs> is the way i read it mm-hmm. but they're like oh, gotta go see you later <laughs> and uh and in the end they do they they um they decide to free Val Kilmer, Mad Mardigan, and uh, he's like he promises to take care of the baby, which is just a transparent lie, and uh, and uh, it's not going to work. They want to believe it, and they're not, and they're not worldly wise. Like for all the politics in their village, they have no experience of the outside world, so they hang out there by the crossroads, and everyone ignores them because they're little people and whatever. And he's in the cage, constantly saying, "I'll take care of the baby," and like, "All right, fine, take the but." But like, you know, they. They think they're mostly doing the right thing, but they're also way out of their depth. He does pre- present a good argument that, yeah, maybe he doesn't know a lot about babies, but he knows a lot of, of women who can mm-hmm. take care of babies, which, <laughs> yes. you know, that is an understandable thing to believe. Well, and you know that he's got the pressure of, I have to get home to my family and take care of the farm. And so, like, how long is he going to sit there and wait for some random person to come by? So it's like he knows it's a bad idea. Yeah, and Val Kilmer uses every trick in the book uh, to convince them. He he tries the hard sell, he tries charming. the soft one, he tries to introduce himself by shaking hands after he wakes up. <laughs> like he does, <laughs> he does every move you could possibly do. You know, he pleads with Eric when Eric goes by. Like just, you know, the one mistake he makes is when he gets his hands on uh, on Willow that he really shouldn't have let him go and should have held him as a, a, a hostage. Mm-hmm. But he's he's probably out of his mind mm-hmm. from dehydration, so I forgive him. Yeah, so Val Kilmer, like. <laughs> He he's very charismatic. He's very funny in these scenes. Um, it's this thing like, well, he's a he's got to be here for a reason, and he's a fast talker. But maybe there's something behind it. it. It's also a this is one of the places where I thought about the Princess Bride because it is a modern character, right? Like he's he's kind of ironic and like the, it is the movie having fun with a modern audience by having a character who doesn't kind of follow all of what we think are the rules of of high fantasy and is instead a little bit wackier and and kilmer comes across that way to me and i enjoyed that i'm like oh they just let val kilmer do his thing i mean he he's not that different from real genius in this scene Uh i mean he is it is he's just like do the do all the business that you can The, the charismatic uh frenetic uh you know Val Kilmer stuff in amid the armies marching and uh, prophecies and things, which I think is a I, I like that spin on it that it, that there's a little bit of a wink here that's like yeah we get we know that this is 1980 
1987 or 1988. I, I want to make a, a little confession here. I don't overly care for Val Kilmer. <laughs> That's fine. Um, You're here and it's Kilmus, so. Yeah, I know. And I I, I don't dislike him. He's not somebody who annoys me or anything. I just don't, like, I don't particularly see the appeal. I've seen lots of movies with him in in it and it's fine. But I have always kind of liked Willow despite Val Kilmer instead of because of him. I think in part maybe because of what you were saying, that he's a little bit more of a modern character, a modern spin on a character like that. And as especially as a kid watching it, it just to me, it was like a puzzle piece that didn't quite fit. Uh, probably because when I was that young, I wasn't like uh, I wasn't a savvy modern audience. I was a little kid who mm. only knew my my high fantasy sort of stories. Mm-hmm. And I sort of have always carried that along with me. Uh, now that I'm older, I, I definitely get it and I see how it works and it is it is fun. But it's still there's always sort of like that little thing in the back of my mind that's just like, you know, he's not quite as as serious of a of a character as I would as I would like him to be or as my you know eight-year-old self would have liked him to be so even if you're not a huge Val Kilmer fan like I still think this is a movie that is super worth your time because that you know his whole storyline and as we'll get to uh there are a lot of things about it that kind of bother me a little bit and always have but I still just love this movie so much so even even with Val Kilmer yeah, a lot of his roles that he took around this time, he does a little bit of this sort of over the top acting, mm-hmm. even th- yep. something like Real Genius or like he's the cat. He's kind of he ha- he established for himself kind of a Val Kilmer character. Yes. Early in his career. Mm-hmm. And this is that Val Kilmer character put into a fantasy setting. So it's it's the same way where, we, you know, when the audience come to expect like uh, The Rock to be, you know, Dwayne Johnson to be a particular thing. When they go to see a movie with him in it, they expect him to do The Rock thing. Right. And so here's Val Kilmer doing the Val Kilmer thing before he got sort of more serious and branched out and tried different kinds of roles. So yeah. if you were an audience who knew that Val Kilmer existed and you landed in this in 1988, you got exactly what you expected. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, and I think I that's when I like Val Kilmer the best because I think when he just does what he does well, I enjoy that. And then when he goes off and does other things, like tries to transform himself out of this, I'm like, uh, I, I, Real Genius and Willow are my favorite Val Kilmer movies. What I'll say about this, and I, I do enjoy Val Kilmer, although I say Kilmus is a, a, a broad church. Kilmus, <laughs> Kilmus is about, about Val Kilmer. It's not fundamentally about celebrating Val Kilmer as much as watching movies Val Kilmer is in, just to be clear. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that uh, Real Genius, I I love that. uh, One of my favorite movies, and I I love his character in that, and he's basically riffing on it here. It gives me a bit of a Princess Bride vibe because, again, these are characters that know that they're characters in a fantasy, or at least he is a character that knows he's a character in a fantasy movie, and I enjoy that. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that level, level. I'll also say that the next scene is a scene that makes you need to decide what kind of humor do you want in your willow? Do you want a kind of ironic, modern uh, commentary character like Val Kilmer as Mad Mardigan? Or would you prefer the wisecracking brownies (laughs) who appear 
Uh, so they, 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 the baby has been has been dumped by Val Kilmer immediately, uh, but found no, by a group. No, no, no. He was, was peeing. <laughs> he was peeing. And yep. Yeah. Whatever. He yeah. he was bad the, the at movie, his job. The movie does does a careful job to make sure that you know that Val Kilmer did not renege on his promise because the movie wants you to know that Val Kilmer, despite being in the cage and all of his cynicism, is actually a good artist. He's not person. that that bad. Well, yeah, but he loses the baby immediately. Well, he's not competent. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, like he has his faults, but it's not it's not a fault of motivation. So he's found by a group of brownies. There's like fairies and a Tinkerbell and little brownies who are little, t- very tiny people. So we have little people, and now we have <laughs> tiny, tiny people. people. Are, yeah. mm-hmm. And um, okay, the the brownies are played by Kevin Pollack. Yep. <laughs> what and Rick Overton? They are Aww. they are they are the comic relief duo in the rest of the movie. And uh, I have a few things to say about them. I would like to say <laughs> one: they uh, are basically in another movie. Like there are constantly throughout the movie shots where it's sort of the brownie shot where they are green screened into <laughs> a little tiny thing, and they go, "Whoa! Well, here's a joke to tell." Oh, and then you dis- they disappear again because they're very poorly integrated into the movie. Or as I put it while I was watching it, I turned to Lauren and I said, "And now brownies will." Uh, comment from a different location about what's happening in the movie. I mean, that kind of works for their characters because they are so small. They can't really participate in the events of the movies except sort of tangentially. Like, no one cares about them or their perspective. They're viewed as vermin by most people mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they are in their own movie. They're a movie in which they are the heroes and are doing important work. I, I was going to say, like, know. imagine Star Wars if Star Wars were a series of movies about people going from place to place on spaceships, but there were also two Ewoks traveling in a compartment in the back of the ship and every time a ship turns or is hit or something you cut to the Ewoks going whoa as they fall around <laughs> that's what these brownies are but they're even they're even smaller like they're so small like they do they do the Gulliver's travel shot yes, which is do. so yeah. funny because they do it on they do it on on you know the, the Warwick Davis right who's and he's the giant in the scenario compared to them right they're very much like I mean one of them has a little mouse helmet right they're very much like mice or rodents they're yeah. very small very inconsequential easy to accidentally step on and yes due to technical limitations mostly acting in front of a green screen and and they are also constantly having to keep up because no one's bothering to take yeah, them along because no, no, so, no they're, they're so there. little it's like oh here they show up and they finally get there and then everyone's, off <laughs> everyone's again, leaving and then they're behind again. so they're like there and then they're they're not again. even when they want to do something like pick a lock you know val camera is like just get out of the way let me do it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say that they the brownies worked a lot better for me when I saw it as a as a child mm-hmm. than, I'm sure. than as a as a grown up. Uh, I agree. But I have I have enough just you know warm fuzzy feelings and nostalgia for them that it like I just mostly kind of rolled my eyes. But most of the time that I was watching this movie yesterday, I was going, "Oh my god, what is Jason going to think of the brownies?" But, I mean, but the, the, the writing is pretty good for them. Like no. it, you know what they are they're there they're there for <laughs> the know. kids it's to not. they're they're, it's they're there for the kids to be funny. But I feel like the gag work fine at the level they're supposed to work remember you know this this is this is the an aspect of the movie that is clearly there to be fun for kids yeah um, and so yes I, you know yes it is yeah. it is the and this is answer gonna answer his question if it wasn't already yep. clear it is the laziest form of easy comic relief jokes that can be inserted 
sort of at random throughout the movie in order to create this kind of like, I mean, how many cartoons and other movies for kids do you, have you ever seen that have something like this? It's these the two wisecracking sidekicks who don't really do anything, but they're there for the jokes because we don't want the kids to get bored. And it can be executed to various degrees of 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 quality. And I think the brownies in this are not executed well at all. And I think they're not funny. And I think they're annoying. And they're they they suck. <laughs> you're right. You're right at what they're supposed to do. But they're, and I don't think it's lazy because you could have them fill that role and not bother trying to think of anything that's actually funny for them to say. I would be surprised if there's an adult that doesn't chuckle at least one brownie line. And that is that is an example of not being lazy. Instead of saying John, we're just going to make gonna the be kids surprised. <laughs> I, knew, I guarantee I knew Jason you chuckled chuckling. at least one brownie line we'll nope. find it before the end of the movie i did laugh at how bad it was though so there was that <laughs> anyway i think the brownies are bad but the brownies are what they are and erica is exactly right it's constructed so that younger kids who are watching the movie have something to grab onto and, and laugh at and and that's sort of what it is it is i mean in the i was reading the wikipedia page and it it literally ref- says a brownie duo who serve as comic relief and i was like well that's literally that's literally it is they go along for the ride. And with the exception of, I think like one or two places where they influence the plot a, a very small amount, huh? uh, cause they're very small and they uh, are there to just kind of like ha- comment on the action and have jokes and stuff. And I, I uh, didn't appreciate it and they're unnecessary. They're like a drunk Greek chorus. Yeah. They're very yeah. much like that. Plus, that I haven't even common. gone to the fact that also they seem to be doing a weird accent that yeah. could be perceived <laughs> as being accent. horrendously racist if you want to think about it that way, but it's pitched up a couple octaves, so you may not notice. So there's that too. So. In in the extras, they have they have their little shtick is that they are actually actors who are eight inches tall, so they shoot all of their. Mm. their oh my god! And I'm sure that you would love that. Yeah. They and they <laughs> they're put up in a Barbie house, and it's like it's really really ridiculous and it's very silly. It doesn't but. help that I know who Kevin Pollack is and I've seen uh-huh. him in a million things. And so I see him in this and I'm yep. like, wow, well you got paid, man. Good for, good for you. <laughs> I, I feel like a modern take on these characters would like a modern movie would demand that they do something pivotal to the plot and the climax. And this movie does not demand that. No, this, no, this movie really leaves happened. them where they are, which is like in the beginning, they have a minor effect of like, we take you to the Island, but in the general, guy. they are ridiculous and competent. And they're just too small to do anything important. And this movie does not, force them to be at the last moment they knock over an apple off a shelf and that saves them from the wizard nope i mean they're literally the, they're the other two hobbits right they're <laughs> non-essential <laughs> hobbits there are no non-essential hobbits jason but mm. we're not talking about the lord of the rings the fairy queen is there too not just the brownies who, who suck who are going to be in the movie polluting the movie for the rest of the movie but enough about them uh <laughs> and, and uh so the the fairy queen says uh i, I speak baby this is Elora. She is the future queen. Um, this is the whole prophecy, and it's going to happen, and all of that. Take this magic wand, which looks like a stick, which mm-hmm. is I find charming that it's just it's a stick, but it's a magic it's a wiggly wand. stick. Yeah, it is. And um, and you need to go uh, take her. What is it? Take her to the island where the where sorceress the is, yeah. lives. Where yeah, the good, the good wizard Finn Rizel. Um, and you need to, you need to find her and then she will, uh, and give her, give her the wand and she will solve this and, and, and it'll all work out, but that's your quest. So that's next step on our plot is that, that you guys need to take the baby to the Island and, uh, and okay, we're off. Uh, but first Erica, Val Kilmer is back. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah. He's back. He's dressed as a lady. Yeah. So Val Kilmer is is um is making time with a lady at this tavern um, who's married uh, and the husband comes in. And so he dresses up as a lady with his, uh, uh, you know, five more than five o'clock shadow, by the way, that he doesn't uh, mm-hmm. really attempt to cover up. But, you know, it's a fantasy world. I'm not going to judge. So he's like, oh, no, it, it's, uh, you know, it's just us girls in here. Um, and what one of the things that I find strange about this scene is that, am I wrong in reading it, that the husband is stepping out on the wife, but the wife in is afraid of, her. of him finding out that she's stepping out on him? Well, well, the husband's yep. allowed to do whatever he wants. He starts yeah. hitting yeah. on and Hilda because right he's a man. He gets to do wife, anything, yeah. but he he would be super mad if she saw anybody else. So yeah. he's trying to you know escape before the husband comes home because the husband is big and mean. But yeah. in the society, apparently, yeah. the husband can do whatever they want. Like she, he 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 gropes Val Kilmer in front of her. It's a corrupt mm-hmm. society run by an evil queen. What do you expect? I guess. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And this is one of the scenes that has not aged as well for no. me. Just like you know the, no. the comedy of oh my gosh, there's a there's a there's a boy in a dress, and the way it's it's played for comedy, and you know it just, yeah, there were a lot of little moments, just little lines that right now we're just like didn't need that. It also doesn't really add that much, other than it's just like stuck in there because it's funny to put him in a dress because. What it doesn't mm-hmm. add really to the plot or his, I guess, his character as a, a womanizer, which he was already implied. But yeah, there's not. Yeah, really except a lot of I mean, he it. he does. There is the which, and I do agree that the it is pretty funny um, when they're about to get caught and everything, and that's when Lug, uh, yeah. the husband, yeah, it, Lug. R- determines that you know not a woman, not a woman, and starts starts yelling. I did like that. That that just like that Val Kilmer's character is smart enough and savvy enough to be able to play the situation out until that moment and he knew exactly what was going to happen you know meet lug and then lug just makes everything kick off and <laughs> and then he's able to escape in the chaos that that ensues there yeah it's another example of showing his street smarts he's got fantasy mm-hmm. street smarts he's the typical yep. fantasy rogue character who's a cynic and who has street smarts and who is get, always getting into trouble because he's got to make time with the ladies and everything but then he's going to go in disguise to try to escape and parlay that into you know saving his skin when the uh the the evil queen's men come in he's right? the kind of guy who starts a riot so that he can escape out the back mm-hmm. door right like which mm-hmm. he literally does here and that's that's and, that's and, what he and this is. scene is this scene is also cute where we've got willow coming in uh foolishly thinking that going into this going into a bar like surely people will understand that he has a hungry baby and and help him because he's used to some minimum level of help and the people in this bar don't even view him as human and ignore him and have no interest in helping that baby. And even if it is a human baby, they don't care. He gets lettuce thrown at him. Like it's more of his sort of innocent non, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's not worldly wise. He's just been in his village and he's not even that good at navigating the politics in his own village for that matter. Right. So yeah. Willow is totally he's innocent. innocent and it's, it's sad and touching to see him enter in this scenario and say, please, do you have milk for my baby? Right. And then Saint Val Kilmer, like, is saving his own skin, but also he didn't intentionally give up the baby and he does want to help and does help the baby in the wagon escape. Right. So it's mm-hmm. again, we're showing Val Kilmer as mostly a good guy who makes bad decisions. Yeah. And like it, when uh, when Willow's really ticked off, you know, you never drive that fast. You don't ride around like that in a cart with a baby. <laughs> and <laughs> Val Kilmer, you know, Mad Mardigan turns around and says, I just saved that baby's life. Right. He doesn't understand that sometimes you have to, you know, fight the bad guys to live. But Willow is like, don't drive so fast with the baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They make their way to the island 
and they they discover that the problem is that the the sorceress that we, they're meeting there has uh, turned into an animal. Uh, I thought it was maybe a, like a sugar glider or something. It is, according to Wikipedia, a brush-tail possum from <laughs> Australia, but it is a weird mammal. That's very cute. big, pretty eyes. Yep, and she mm-hmm. talks, and she's like, "You got to turn me back with the uh, magic wand," and uh, uh, that doesn't really work. They they are taken captive. A farmer. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's just, uh, he can't even make the pig disappear. Uh, but they they are uh, they're captured by Sorsha, who is the uh, the daughter of the evil queen and and her soldiers. Um, Sorsha, spelled S-O-R-S-H-A. I think there is a Gaelic word name that is spelled very differently than this, but they don't bother. Mm-hmm. Sorsha Ronan, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So the, she's just Sorsha spelled like you think. Um, and uh, and let's see, this is they, this is, is this where they transform the poor uh, witch the first time into? It's when they're, it's when they've been captured. It's yeah. the first transformation. Yeah. So they've been captured the by Sorsha raping. and they're in, in a cage in snow. And yes. Yeah. And they turn I like, her into I a like bird, into like a how crow. She's, and she expla- she's explaining, you know, you have to say these words and stuff. And she just kind of like tosses off in the middle of a sentence that there's sometimes some pain for beginners, but just don't let anything <laughs> ruin your concentration. There's a lot of pain for beginners. Like you look at Willow and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. There's fun. Uh, there's a, there's an escape with uh on a shield that is a very str- like basically it's a shield that is a sled that they use as a sled mm-hmm. and you can definitely see like the the gliders at the bottom when they jump yes. over a cliff and you're like there's the glider yeah that's right sled. oh but i still love it you pick the shield that looks exactly that is a sled okay well that works <laughs> but still it's fun nobody has had it not until there was a james bond movie actually about this time that had a similar thing where they go down a slope in a in a violin Mm -hmm. case or something or viola cello case something Mm -hmm. like that anyway must be cello yes uh is that right yeah i think so living daylight so it's it's, it's a stalton movie yeah there's something in the water in uh in this period where they're like you know what weird objects that you slide down a hill in snow on let's do that oh actually before before the escape you had the uh the dust of broken heart scene oh man uh, here's where i get angry uh, val kilmer gets whacked in the face and then he's going to rescue the baby but he gets distracted because source is pretty uh and he he keeps going back and forth from the baby to the you know again completely over the top ridiculous acting explained in universe by the ridiculousness of the love potion which we'd seen previously except that it's the brownie falls inconsistent in the film and it makes me so mad that this actually made me mad even as a kid was that okay so um kevin pollack gets hit in the face with it and falls in love with a cat something that would probably eat him if uh if he had any Mm -hmm. uh, any any possibility to and then Mad Mardigan gets smacked in the face with it, and the first person he actually looks at is Willow. He should be right. in love with Willow. Well, so here, here's my in-universe explanation. Oh, uh, please help me, because I Brownies find cats to be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Val Kilmer finds women to be beautiful. You don't know what brownies are into. You think, oh, brownies must like women brownies. We don't know that. Maybe they are all attracted to cats and worship them, right? Okay, <laughs> sure. We don't have enough information about brownie culture or brownie sexual politics to know whether maybe a cat is the epitome of beauty to a brownie. Maybe. Well, brownies also later are lusting after uh, a full-sized woman, like a, a daikini yes. woman. It, it, so. brownie, brownie sexuality is very confusing. I, I guess. <laughs> They're pansexuals. Also, let's not forget the ratio of their of their body mass to the amount of glitter that they received. Like, that, that is, is true. That, that, true. Those brownies are, are super high, whereas yeah. Val Kilmer and, only got a little bit of it. 
That's true. And the thing is, here's the thing. Val Kilmer was kind of making eyes at Sorsha before yes. the Dust of mm-hmm. Broken Heart. She is very attractive, right? And she mm-hmm. is apparently very lonely and just trying to please her mother. And so this romance is probably going to happen one way or the other. The Dust just makes him go a little bit over the top and do this, mm-hmm. you know, whole business that he later forgets slash regrets and can't believe he actually did. It, it's It's the most like stereotypical poetical language too that you're like oh that's not even like really good poetry no <laughs> should try a little harder too. Yeah. she's got a knife to his throat the whole time too because she she doesn't she's not ready for love yeah. and she's not ready for this handsome man to express himself in these ridiculous flowery terms mm-hmm. right but she also doesn't kill him I, I i feel like if this movie would have spent a little more time on Sorsha's character and her storyline. Like, it really Mm -hmm. doesn't care about her. Um, There's There are bits and pieces that you can headcanon together to kind of make it work, which is what I have sort of had to do in order to not, like, truly despise it. But, like, you get the idea here that nobody has ever actually shown her that much affection because she is completely... She's too busy trying to be tough for her Yeah, she's completely taken back by it. it. And, And she hesitates when she probably wouldn't have any... Other cases. When she shows up having and takes them uh, prisoner, it's like, oh, right, like Sorsha. Because you're right, she should have a bunch more scenes in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Because she should have a, her little little arc. And for all I know, she did, and they cut them all out. But, like, mm-hmm. it is weird because she ends up being kind of pivotal, and, and she's got a couple pieces that you can, like you said, Erica, you can kind of headcanon it together. You can stitch it together of like what must have been happening off screen for the rest of it to have it make sense for her. But we never see any of those other pieces. So she's like, yeah. she seems, it is kind of weirdly imbalanced where she seems more important than she is or or she is more important than she's treated might be the better way to put it <laughs> mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think, because, you know, in the end, there is something between Sorsha and Mad Mardigan. Yep. Um, and, and this scene with the love potion could have been a really kind of funny, interesting, like he's high on love potion and needs to get the baby and the audience wants him to get the baby and Sorsha is distracted and troubled. And then he leaves and she's like, well, wait a second. That was actually kind of like, like we could have an interesting, doesn't happen. Right. Like it's just uh, moving on. Well, but they, no. but they do all that. They just don't give a lot. Don't they? Don't give it time, right? They give her. Right. They give it's, her one yeah. parting look of right. And same she, she thing with the beginning. That's but it. She's, mm-hmm. she's introduced as the queen's daughter. But in the very first scene, she's not introduced as the queen's daughter living in a tower with a pointy hat on, like a princess. She's introduced as the queen's daughter wearing a full set of armor, who's right. charged with doing you know things that you do as a warrior, right? So it's clear that she's got mommy issues. She, it's basically the same dynamic as, as the son in a typical fantasy movie with the king, where he's got sure. daddy issues. I want to impress my dad. My dad doesn't show me love. This is the exact same thing, but just gender swapped, right? The evil queen, who's terrible and evil, and the daughter just wants love, and she figures the only way I can get love from my mom is by being the toughest, baddest princess that you can possibly be. And so she's out there trying to do that, clearly very lonely, clearly very upset. Um, and, but she falls in with uh, with Val Kilmer and realizes there's another way of being, and I don't need to please my mother. And actually, my mother is kind of evil, which really should have been obvious sooner. But hey, you know how it is sometimes with evil witch mothers. It's just got the points, but it doesn't earn it, right? Like, there's the moment mm-hmm. later on, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but there's the moment later on where she obviously, she she turns on her mother and supports them. As foretold. As mm-hmm. is foretold, right. And, you know, it happens. And uh, again, like Erica said, I can... I can get there by connecting a bunch of dots, but mm-hmm. the movie does none of the work to 
pay off the moment where she turns on her mother, which exactly. should really be a pivotal character and plot moment where things are going bad and it's about to go uh, you know, worse and, and it's going to be the end of this entire dream. And she realizes that everything is wrong and the sum of the whole movie up to this point. And it's like, no, instead it's like, well, you know, the boy is over there and they're nice and they're the heroes of this movie. So I'll be on your side now. I, it's like, I feel okay. like that's a thing that, that modern movies do more of where, like I said, with the brownies, modern movies feel much more like they have to flesh out the minor characters roles and whereas back in the 80s especially in this type of movie they're like there's minor characters but it's all about the mains right so the minor right. characters get get relative crumbs because the movie is not interested in pursuing them um and i don't like in some respects it's refreshing like this is willow and val kilmer's movie and she's also there right but in other respects like you know with, with a modern movie like they feel the need to do that because it makes for better movies, right? Because so so every, <laughs> so every character can have a little story, and it's hard to do that. We've talked about movies on the Incomparable before, where if you have an ensemble cast, it is very hard to give everybody a satisfying story because you just don't have the time. And the movies that accomplish that, it's very impressive. This movie does not attempt to accomplish that, despite the fact that I think her performance is fine, and I think oh, yeah. all the notes that she yeah. hits are the right notes. She, I mean, if if you just put her screen time up, how long is her face on screen? It is very, very low. Little. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like Val Kilmer's character gets he gets the story arc. He gets, you know, the script is written for him. Her character, Sorsha, just gets the the bullet point outline. Like, that's all we get. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's it's executed with a lot of looks where she just like sort of looks. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're good looks. And you, you sort of deduce <laughs> things from yeah. that. And it's like, oh, so she's thinking this now. She doesn't have lines, but she looks kind of like the baby. <laughs> Yes. Who well, is that actor? You know, Joanne Whaley? I got to look yes. that up. Joanne Whaley, yeah. That's the, yep. she. This is where she met Val Kilmer, and then they they, they got, married, got married, and they they were married for a, a, like a yeah, decade. So the chemistry is real. It's a little like um, Beauty and the Beast, but Gaston is the main character. You're like, well, wait a second. You're like, <laughs> uh, I, I get Val Kilmer I, is not I, Gaston. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but but a little bit, right? Like, just I'm, he's not. But like that idea of like, well, here's the warrior, and also there's this girl, and it's like. But anyway, it's it's one of those things where I, I agree. In a modern, a more modern uh, read of this would pay more attention to Sorsha. Um, not necessarily less attention to Gal Kilmer, but I think they right. pay more attention mm -hmm. to Sorsha. And that is a place where, um, let's just say it, this is a boys' fantasy movie. Mm -hmm. Yep, and they and they don't care about Sorsha. Like she's there. She, I mean, they, they, it's nice. She's a warrior. She's not like they're doing some nice things, but in the end, the, the story is not about her. It's about Willow, but it's about Mad Mardigan too, and not about Sorsha. And that, and what's weird is from a modern standpoint, not only do you look at that and you're like, ah, uh, okay, I see a problem with this, the screenplay right here, but also how do you not like take Sorsha and do something with her because like she the plot kind of hinges on her at a couple of points and it's like i don't know it's it's a it's a little bit frustrating and and it's, and it's a good actor and she has chemistry with the lead so like it was a yes. missed opportunity she right? does and there's potential to develop her into a really interesting character because i think she is kind of interesting even though they leave her really flat it's like oh who is she i would like to know more about her so it's just you know from a from a perspective of your your it's it's men writing a screenplay in 1987 they're like thinking about the boys and and then like we'll make a cool girl too but she doesn't do anything well they, they managed as we mentioned already, they had, they managed to get the female wizards as the yeah. I mean, to their credit, true. Almost every other important, like really important character in this movie who has a lot of power 
is a woman. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a little bit balanced out in terms of the number of characters who have a lot to do. But I do think that even the relationship between Sorsha and her mother, like there's that there's a scene that we'll get to later on um, where Beth Morta says, you know, you've you've betrayed me and now I must hate you. And the way that that's phrased and the way that it's delivered just makes me think that there's this really great deep backstory between these two <laughs> characters that we know nothing else about. And that's why I would say. I don't think like I don't think this is a sexist movie, but I do think it is a I think, in fact, it is in in its own late 80s way, a feminist movie because of all the women characters. It's progressive for its time. But it's also written by guys from a guy's perspective. And so Mm -hmm. you get the guy's perspective on, hey, women are cool and they're powerful and they've got all this stuff. But in the end, what we care about is Mad Mardigan. (laughs) Yeah, it's got the same blind spots you would expect. Like when this was made, and I still, I think even from a modern perspective, it's a movie starring and about little people where women have prominent roles, but the people who wrote it continue to have blind spots and we can find them, right? So it's not Mm -hmm. perfect. But at the time that it was made, nothing was like this because every movie that was like this had zero women on it as anything except for sexualized damsels. So this was massively progressive for the time. And even for modern time, we, you know, the script falls down in areas of basic plot construction and there, you know, she's a wasted character. But in general, it's not so incredibly unbalanced that you think this is a world without women in it, right? Where did all these men come from? Who who birthed them? I don't understand. You don't have that question in this movie. There's Yeah, I will say you know. that as uh, you know, somebody who grew up in a society with a you know, not a lot of cool lady characters to to look up to, like I got really good at filling in the gaps and, mm-hmm. you know, adding all kinds of headcanon to those characters, the few women characters that we had that were not super fleshed out. So, you know, this was one of those things where the first few times I saw it, I was just like, I feel like I I thought that she was a much more well-rounded character than I recognize now, simply because I was so used to adding those extra details myself whenever I needed mm-hmm. to. And this is very much also a, a case of, you know, the, the sort of classical definition of strong female character, which mm-hmm. is a phrase that I just hate. <laughs> But it really, you know, you do have women in positions of power, but you could very, it's very just gender swapped. You could very easily put men in those roles. And, you know, there's nothing maternal about Bav Morda. She's an evil wizard. And there's nothing particularly feminine about Finn Rizal. She's just, you know, a good wizard who's very cranky. She's a beautiful cranky. woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> beautiful but young she was woman. when she got turned. Not yep, even yep. the fellowship had any, any uh, women in it either. So it's, yep. you know. <laughs> I can't let this go without... Uh, the scene that uh, made me laugh the most when I saw it in the theater, and I still find it funny, and I can't tell it's just because of, I found it funny when I was 12 or whatever, which is after <laughs> the snow adventure, Mad Mardigan falls off the back of the sled, and we see him tumbling yes. in the background, and then and then Willow continues the sled journey and crashes into a house and gets snow thrown in his face, <laughs> and phew, we made it, we're okay, and you know, and he's coming back to his senses in the thing, then he remembers... <gasps> Mad Mardigan and looks out the window and the, the most over the top cartoon level <laughs> sight gag that Mad that you have to construct put together in your head because they don't show him accumulating snow as he rolls they just show him falling off the sled and rolling like a log and the next time you see him he's accumulated a comical <laughs> amount of snow which probably doesn't fit in the movie even a movie involving birds pooping on people's faces and babies puking on people's faces both burrow cut uh, but I found that hilarious and clever when I was young and I still think it's a good sight gag. I liked it as a kid, and it is it is still it is pretty funny. funny, I think. And it, and then again, as I blame the modern movies, if they had shown him accumulating snow, it becomes less funny. So they, they didn't probably because it would be more expensive to film. Just cut right to him rolling down the giant roll of paper towel made of snow. Also, it gives you an opportunity to look at that and say that doesn't make any sense. Whereas this is just like boom, here it is. Oh, that's weird. The end. Uh, okay, so they end up at a castle. The uh, the buddy. Uh, 
and and his army are there. They've been they've been defeated, um, and then Sorsha attacks them. And this is our big action set piece at this castle, um, where there is a whole. They're like there's a, there's trolls who are like kind of weird monkey gorilla people in suits. Or, just say it. Yeah. People in suits. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, there is a lot of fighting action and, uh, Willow tries to cast a, cast a spell on a troll, um, which doesn't work. And <laughs> it turns out if you, if you cast a spell on a troll and kick them into the, the, the water, they're like an Alka-Seltzer and they turn into a dragon. <laughs> and it's one of those moments where I'm like, all right, movie, whatever. Like it's fantasy, I guess, magic involved. I mean, it was already changing into a dragon before he kicked it over. You saw the little heads burst out alien style. And another another 80s trope of like, I'm surprised this movie doesn't have boobs in it because that's another 80s thing where no matter what the movie was, they just throw in some naked boobs. But this movie <laughs> does have very gross and visceral, like the the stop motion thing of that of that creature peeling off its own skin and the two alien like heads bursting out. That was pretty yeah. jarring uh-huh. for a for a supposed kids movie. And then it fizzes down in the water and turns into a giant monster. And uh, <laughs> you get another, another straight up the middle sight gag where Val Kilmer has got his sword and his armor on with his peacock helmet or whatever, and, and all and he he goes picks up his sword and everyone flees from him and he's smiling because he's so proud that he scared them away. But the dragon's behind him. And then he runs away and he runs and out the door the along other people. with everybody else, yeah. and then turns around to realize he's surrounded by the enemy because they all ran away. Like there's two. <laughs> Decent sight case. Yeah, there's a That's lot of Val Kilmer business in here where he's setting up all the crossbows and all of that. And he's like, ah, I'm in my element. And then, yeah, it is that crowning achievement of he's like, aha, they are running from me. Oh, no, they're running from the dragon who's behind <laughs> and, me. I'm going to run, ev- too. Then the dragon is everybody's problem. <laughs> yes. It's yes. just, just a mess. Exactly. Honestly, like, and it's it was one of those things that I thought about this time where... I always just kind of thought, oh, no, Willow just made everything worse by accidentally creating a dragon, which, you know, kind of he did. But at the same time, if he hadn't done that, they probably would have all all the good guys would have ended up dead because there would have been nothing to distract the the rest of the troops. So it was it was a happy mistake. Yeah, and he also drops an acorn on the bridge, and you see it change the yes. change the, yes. the bridge slat to be spray painted silver. I mean, uh, stone. <laughs> stone. Um, again, special effects. Uh, and so that that tells you, oh, those acorns, those actually they are work. magic, right? Yep. Although he, you know, in typical Willow fashion, he's not the greatest warrior. He does not like. He tries. He use he tries to use his magic and makes a dragon. He tries to use the acorns and fumbles them and drops them onto the you know the stone steps, right? But mm-hmm. in the end, it all works out, you know, due to Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, with all his traps and all his, his ridiculous helmet, like, thankfully <laughs> that he loses the whole gag yeah, of him. But it's funny. To, like, he finds it and he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm going to dress right. up now. <laughs> and he's the one who kills the dragon. He sol- he solves it. You see him take a breath. He's like, oh, I got to do All right. Here we go. He jumps in the dragon. He puts a toothpick through its head. Its head <laughs> explodes in another giant shower of gore like if this is <laughs> and i have to say we didn't talk about the wagon chase but in general the action scenes in this movie are good yes. they remind me a lot of uh, you know the uh, indiana jones movie absolutely right? where they're they're kind of you know with the james horner score in the background yeah. james, and everything james like, horner trying very hard to do john williams doing indiana jones in those moments I right thought, which is yes. i was impressed because so many james horner That's scores good. sound alike and there are a few wrath of Khan moments in the score here but <laughs> most of the time he's trying to sound like john williams doing an indiana jones movie and i think pretty successfully and you're right mm-hmm. i agree about the uh the, the the gags that that whole um wagon chase scene i was like I see what they're doing here. This is like Raiders of the Lost Ark in a kids' fantasy movie, yeah. basically. And, yeah. and it's and it's easy to phone those in. Oh, a wagon chase! Like we've seen a million of those. So what? Right. And same thing with this dragon in a castle. I think all these action scenes are inventive and extremely well executed. The sort of 
you know, the people say this is an insult, but with the workmanlike directing of, of Ron Howard, where <laughs> he very carefully sets up the action and, and shows you what you need to see to understand it, combine it with the, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a difficult film to deal with because you have to combine it with the special effects, a lot of which are stop motion, and it's not as easy to integrate as people acting in front of green screens. There's like a couple of composites, a bunch of models, some stop motion, all cut together in a way that is not convincing from modern CG perspectives, but never leaves you confused about what's happening in the action and manages to, in every scene, have something interesting, exciting, delightful, funny, scary happening. The pacing is nice, too, because I get really bored if things get go on too long. So the chase yes. sequences, the battle sequences, you get your point, you have the action, you have some good, like, they're funny, they're they're heroic, and then we move on, and they're not, like, endless. You're going, ugh, can we just stop the battle already? We get the point, you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact that the battle at the castle comes right after what was, for me as a child, one of the most heart-wrenching moments of the movie is, you know, we've got our quest and we're supposed to be taking Alora Dannon to Tiraz Lean, where there's a king and queen in this, this mm-hmm. castle who are going to take care of her and she's going to be great for the rest of her life and eventually overthrow Bav Morda. And they get there to discover that trolls have overrun it and there's nobody left alive and this was Bav Morda's doing. And like, I, as a kid, was so excited for them to get to Tiraz like it just sounds like this sounds beautiful magical. magical place and they get there and it's horrible and I was just absolutely crushed as a, as a little kid so the fact that then we do have this exciting battle with all of these comic scenes in it helped to sort of bring me out of my funk and get me back to the idea that okay maybe things are going to be okay and the fact that Mad Mardigan is like this is really I feel like the the scene that is the turning point for him because he is like I feel like he you know in D&D terms he's like a multi-class rogue and fighter uh, because he's <laughs> he knows all of these tricks for like you know setting up all of the the little traps and all that kind of stuff and like he's he's ready to take on an entire army basically by himself and he manages to hold his own pretty well until the dragon shows up to like yeah. sort of back him up in a way and he kills the dragon too he's the greatest servant who ever lived he told you that's true <laughs> i don't know why i didn't believe him the first time tira's lean by the way yeah. clearly just uh minas tirith with the serial numbers filed off but that, it's okay <laughs> yep. it's lord of the rings is the root of all of these things <laughs> i mean i mean j- just to think that in this type of movie like you know having an entire castle and a dragon like this is a t- this battle scene in modern parlance is a tall order in terms of how much it's going to cost you and they did this on a you know a relative uh, shoestring of a budget compared to the kind of budget you'd need for like a Lord of the Rings uh, yeah. equivalent scene here, because it's a, it's a full battle with multiple armies and magic and trolls and everything, and they didn't have computers for any of it. So it's every every part of it is so much more difficult and requires so much and more planning. And it's not even the climax of the movie. No, because then they go to the evil witch's castle because they uh, they took the baby and she's going to start uh, the process of the evil you know ceremony to to banish the baby's soul to the netherworld. She's already got the baby in bondage yep. gear. Yep, indeed. And they shot a lot. That, again, to John's point, they spent a lot of time with the camera on that baby, getting emotions of the baby in the bondage gear. So um, the uh, So this is, the uh, people get turned into pigs, but then the, the, the good witch gets turned back. Willow finally does it right. Um, and they... Uh, they turn back from being into pigs. They lay a little, uh, uh, they do a little trick where they dig holes and hide and make it seem like the army is not there. Which is Willow's idea. Yeah, they, they have they have the double, mm-hmm. the switcheroo because they have, they show the conversation that I've got an idea on how to get into the castle, but everyone's like, you kidding? We're not going to take, you know, who, who wants to stay and try this crazy idea and who wants to go? But we don't see the vote. And so right. when we cut to the next scene, it's just Willow and uh, 
and Cylindria. No, no, who was it? Who was, Finn Rizal. Uh, uh, Willow and Finn Rizal. And there's no one else there, and there's just their junk on the ground. So we're supposed to think that in the end, everyone decided to bail, and it's just the two of them. And So they're like, come on, and come out and get us. And so they lower the drawbridge, and they, they come out. And, uh, of course, the whole army is hiding in the holes, and they jump up Horses and, and, all. and run into the castle because the drawbridge is down. Just a fatal error there on their part. And the, the battle is joined and they have to go. And, the you know, while the fighting is going on, they, they have to go up the stairs. And Sorsha, Sorsha has turned at this point, of course, because reasons. and um, Because she watched Val Kilmer in battle. Because Matt, Mar- Matt Mardigan. Because manly valor. I mean, they literally have a it's scene of her staring at him going, yeah. wow, he is pretty hot. Yeah. Uh, and so they go, <laughs> up, they go up and then we get our we get our big battle, which is uh, the two witches, the two sorceresses, uh, attack one another, and Willow hides behind a door. <laughs> um, As you do. But uh, in the end, what he does is uh, get the baby and do the disappearing t- pig trick on the baby, which uh, fools the evil witch. And uh, and then, you know, basically she knocks over the, the spell stuff and uh, the whole thing is... Uh, it's a really bad moment because she basically banishes herself by accident. And yeah. uh, that's it. <laughs> I say, do yeah. anything with lightning it's very unpredictable That's there was a the good scene before where, where willow willow finally gets the nerve to come in and do something he's basically the only thing reason he gets the nerve is he's going to save the baby that's the only thing that can drive him to action because he's right. out of his element here these mm-hmm. two most powerful wizards in the world fighting he's just hiding he throws the acorn right and she catches it and it starts to turn her to stone and we're like it's, it's he's gonna pull it off but she fights it off and this is one of my favorite like just a great example of how high quality the movie making is after she finishes fighting off the stone, she shakes out the stone dust from yes. her hand. Small touches like that that mm-hmm. you don't need, but just go the extra yard to sell you on the spray-painted silver illusion of, of, <laughs> of her turning to stone and how it didn't work. And so he's got to fall back on his, again, sort of, you know, uh, street magic tricks of the disappearing pig, which doesn't do anything to win except for make her super angry for a second and she knocks over her red liquid and gets hit by lightning mm-hmm. and so you know it's kind yeah. of an accidental uh victory but we we applaud it because we applaud willow's nerve for getting up the courage to do it he didn't even have to come i really like the sequence before they finish going up the stairs where finn Rizel like leans down and says to him you don't have to come willow like basically you've done enough you've been great thank you and he still decides to go up the stairs right. with mm-hmm. her and he doesn't go in the room right away like you said but he's gone that far because he is that brave he throws the magic rock at her and uh, of course that's going to save yeah. the day and uh, or yeah, magic acorn, and uh, it it doesn't, which is a which is a nice fake out, right? Chekhov's magic magic acorn did not actually do anything. Uh-uh. And and she tells him like once he's in the room and she shakes out the dust around, she's like, just put he, he she treats him like a servant. Put the baby back on the altar because once they're just in the room together, there's not she feels confident that there's nothing this little guy can do to right. her. So he just orders her around as a servant. Would you just bring the baby back and put it on here? Right? He does, she doesn't even have to bother to go over and kill him because of course she's going to do what he says. And then he he says no, which she can't handle right he's in this movie willow is constantly underestimated by everyone including himself and so this is sort of his his hero's journey of he doesn't end up defeating her because of something he does but by just keeping by just continuing to try eventually the movie movie plot ensures that she loses he even has the wherewithal when he does the disappearing baby act to like pretend that he's in pain like a new mm-hmm. wizard and he like falls back and is shaking his hand in the same way that he's and like, he ah. says, says goodbye to her like he's so sad that he's never going to see her mm-hmm. again yeah. like it's a good act and then he gets a little pony 
Yeah. So at, <laughs> at the end, yes, they, they give him a pony to ride. It's very nice. I love that and mag- pony. And some magic magic book so he can become a real sorcerer. And, and Sorsha gets a perm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. And she and she and Med Mardigan are going to raise the baby and live happily ever after in a castle. Yeah, yeah, they get the castle. Like. They, just yes. clear, they just clear out those frozen people. They just, you know, sort of uh-huh. move, move them out. Maybe. <laughs> I like to think that Finn Rizel has, like, uncursed yeah. them so they now have this whole society. Maybe they restored... Uh, as many people as they could and all of that. They look like they were just frozen in ice or something. And, and Willow returns home and is cheered. Uh, he's not going to be the, the subject of scorn anymore. At this point, of course, Willow uh, probably has to realize that the uh, the society of his village is corrupt <laughs> and was collaborating with the evil. Uh, and so he's going to, there's going to have to be a sort of a scouring. Yeah, yes. of, oh no, that's Lord of the Rings. Sorry, Lord of the Rings. It's fine. <laughs> and Willow, it's fine. But we, he comes back they're and fine. he does the same trick that the High Nelwyn did before he left, which is turning the, turning the rock into a bird. And so kind of showing that I've yes. gone out into the world and I've come back with the powers that before magic. you were super mm-hmm. impressed by. Yeah, and then like the my honestly my favorite moment of the whole film and I cry every time. This is this movie has my favorite like couple being reunited scene I think in the history of movies Aww. because when Kaya sees that Willow is back, the look on her face just guts me every time yeah. like she never thought she was going to see him again and she is so happy and they just run to each other and i'm just like ah! it's so good i agree i agree and, and, and the little that relationship is is believable and the little kids and all that yeah oh, no it's a great so cute you got to have the payoff like i'm returning home moment and it really is well executed i i agree it's and in good. typical ladies fashion not too long he gets the pony he goes everyone smiles we see we see val kemmer and his pretty braids and they're going to be happy they're going to live happily ever after it just it settles all the business and says suffice it to say boom, everybody boom. lived happily ever after and here's the big reunion roll credits the end to be continued <laughs> apparently in a disney plus series next year <laughs> What? Yes. What? Oh yes. For those who don't know, which apparently oh, is half I don't the know panel, how I feel about this. Uh, they oh, are man. they are uh, making <sighs> a a Disney Plus Willow sequel that Warwick Davies will be in. Oh, um, okay, okay. And, and uh, presumably they will uh, cast somebody a thirty-ish year old woman with a, and put a birthmark on her, and she'll be the queen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they'll go from there. But it's yeah, it's it's uh, the director of Crazy Rich Asians, and Ron Howard is involved as a producer, wow. and there's a. a, a couple of uh screenwriters it's it's uh i think it's lawrence kasdan's one of his huh. kids and a writer from arrow and they're doing it and it's uh it's announced yeah they're going to do it with with so i guess Warwick we'll Davis. reconvene in a year so we'll have, to, we'll have that to talk about it Un- unclear unclear what uh what joanne wally i think val kilmer since this is Kilmus, I, I think he's not well enough to be in in movies anymore because he had mm-hmm. all of his like th- i think throat cancer the throat cancer um, but, uh, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, although I would, I would guess that they'll probably, it'll, it'll be like, oh, well they they're off, you know, in, uh, they retired. <laughs> Mom and dad retired and now it's just our, Maybe he uh, our died in queen. battle. We can kill him in it battle. It could be he's the world's greatest swordsman. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be a valorous, uh, honorable death. But anyway, yes, there will be, as there was, uh, with, uh, the dark crystal, there will be a, uh, a willow follow up and it'll be on Disney plus so people can. People can watch that. So here's my uh, here's my review of Willow, having never seen it before. It is it's cute and fun and looks good and all of those things that were kind of percolating that it was somehow like a disappointment or bad or something. None of that is actually true. It's actually quite nice and good and reminds me of things like The Princess Bride. Uh, it's not as good as The Princess Bride, but because um, I love 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 it's love, a real love that movie. movie. But uh, mm-hmm. but it's but it's good and uh, except for the brownies who suck. And that's it. That's my review. I was happy to watch it. 
Should try being twelve years old. The brownies work much better. I'm sure they do. Yeah, I, 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 after I've seen this movie many, many, many times and sort of burned in my brain. So the same level as the Princess Bride, but there was that big break where I didn't watch it that much because I didn't have it. You know, I saw it in the theaters. I saw it, uh, you know, as a kid, and then I got the Blu-ray whenever that came out. Uh, and in between, I hadn't given it much thought, but I had fond memories of it. This is why when. Uh, you know, unjustly maligned, I was going to come on and talk about this show because I had found out that some people had been maligning this. I'm like, Willow? Everybody loves Willow. It's like it's like trying to malign the Karate Kid. Like, it is what it is. Like, it's a formula movie, but it's a really good one. Who doesn't like Willow, right? And having watched it again with modern eyes, um, I still kind of feel the same way that, like, this is, to use modern parlance, it's kind of the Ted Lasso of fantasy adventure movies where, in general, this movie is good-hearted yeah. and good-natured. It wants our characters that we care about to succeed. It doesn't want the evil characters to be evil. The ones that are evil are irredeemable, like the cartoonishly over-the-top Bad Mortar, right? And everybody else, all of our heroes are, in general, trying to be good people who care about each other. There's The core of the movie is this, you know, this family relationship back at the village, and Val Kilmer seems like he's mean, but he's not, and even Sorcerer can be turned and everything is just sort of you know showing that the power of determination and kindness can overcome these obstacles in a mildly dangerous seeming fantasy scenario this is exactly what i needed on that rainy day at camp when i was 12 or whatever and i think it still works on that exact same level today it is a feel-good fun adventure movie kind of kind of like the indiana jones movies that have scary parts and nazis and ghosts and face melting occasionally but in the end are fundamentally good-hearted yeah, I agree. I had the the same experience, John, where I I watched it. And when I hadn't watched it for, I don't know, like 10, 15, 20 years, and then I got the Blu-ray again. And I was surprised at how well I still knew the movie, like knew the lines, knew the beats, knew everything about it. And it just felt so comfortable to go back there and nostalgic. But and it ha- like even visually, like, yes, it's dated, but it still holds up pretty well within that where you're not like, oh, those are garbage effects. They're just dated effects. And so it just warms my heart. And I- I'm going to I'm I-, I could ditch the brownies. I'd be happy to ditch brownies for you, Jason. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. Get them out. Get them out. Or, or replace them with a wisecracking um, uh, warthog. And meerkat. <laughs> oh, you can see what difficulty they had making the whatever. What do you hold it? The Australian possum thing. Like they had to make the mouth move, and whatever. Like since it has such a small mouth, they just took a little portion of its mouth and moved it up and down. Like I don't know how they did that. It does not look particularly convincing. But you're like, okay, well, eighties, you did it. It's talking. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> And the, yeah. the animal is so cute that I went with it. Oh, I, and I love the those yeah. those dog things, those dog things that chase after the baby. A great mm-hmm. example of using the tech that you have to do what's important. So it's, they're dogs in suits, right? So that's what they yep. are. They're dogs where they put things on top of the dogs and they make them run, these poor, poor dogs, right? But the thing that sells it is the audio. They do the audio of the sort of warbling, gnarling kind of noise. And that combined with the dog running with a with a little outfit on makes those at least when i was young makes them into you know scary silly intimidating beasts right all it's all the magic of the audio you turn off the audio you're like oh that poor dog had to wear that suit but if you turn on the audio it works dogs also can be vicious right like but these Mm -hmm. are fantasy dogs so they're even scarier all right well the it's successful kilmus everybody we did it Mm -hmm. uh mad thank you mad martigan for saving the day ish uh <laughs> at least the parts of the day that you were asked to save let's put it that way mm-hmm. and uh and that wraps up 
uh, our discussion of Willow. I'd like to thank my panelists for joining me to talk about it. Annette Weirstra, thank you so much. Thank you. I have now returned to my human form. That's good. You were a possum. Erica Ensign, also no longer a possum or a goat. Goodbye. Keep walking, hero. (laughs) And John Syracuse, thank you. Light the 13th candle, Jason. All right. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Merry Kilmas to one and all. And we'll see you next week.